are listening to the Mile Straight podcast. For more information on Mile Straight or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.milestraightbc.org. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Tom Goss. Well, if you have a study guide, if you'll grab it, if not, if you have a piece of paper or you can open the note sheet on your apps uh, in your phone, that would be great. Just a way to jot down some information this morning. I mentioned earlier that um, the, um, the study that you'll see on your study guide is not the study we're actually doing this morning. Uh, yesterday morning, I came to the church to print off my my final version of my notes and uh, through the course of my study time it may go through changes over and over and over until I finally get to the the place where I feel God wants it to be and then I print that final version uh, so I've got something to put into my notes and or, or to carry with me on stage and so as I printed it I hit print and I noticed on my screen I do most of my work from home so most of my information is either in my iPad or my phone but uh, I do have a, a desktop computer here at the church. And I noticed on the desktop, the monitor there, that there was a, um, a link that I had not noticed before. Now, you may say, well, that's, that's no big deal. People have hundreds of links that they scan through to pick out the one they want. It wouldn't be that big of a deal not to see it. And if it was on my iPad or my phone, I would say you're probably right. But the truth of the matter is, on my desktop, there are five, five links, five apps to click. And um, so even though I'm not a very observant person, even though I have a very bad memory, I would think out of five, I would recall having seen this little link before. And yet I didn't, I did not remember it. I was really intrigued when I looked down to read it. I'm, I'm blind, so I had to get really close to see what it said. And I read what it said. It said, an interview with my dad. And I thought, well, no, that's, that's interesting. I opened it up to see that uh, the title of the interview was um, Death Becomes Us. Death Becomes Us. Now, I don't remember the interview may have done it some of you may remember I don't I don't recall any part of it I don't know if we ever did it if it's just something I thought about and never followed through on I have no memory of it whatsoever uh, but I imagine that have if if we actually did it that it was probably years ago long before he got cancer and died last year I don't think it had anything to do with that so so while the title talks about death I don't think it had anything to do with his death I just think it was was one of those things and I looked at the title death becomes us and I thought how how accurate is that I went online and I searched to find uh, the origin of that title I knew that probably wasn't something that just came to my mind you know death becomes us I don't normally talk like that Um, and so I looked to see that there are a number of books that have that title there are at least two plays I found that carry that title, and uh, none of which, uh, of, of which I was familiar. I wasn't aware of any of those books. I wasn't aware of those plays. So I don't think that's where the title came from. Once again, no clue. I don't know. I don't know. But it made me think, you know, it's so true. It's so accurate. 
death becomes us. Statistics show that there's really no getting out of this life apart from the return of Jesus Christ without dying. And we will all die at some point. Death becomes us. For some, that's a physical death. For others, it's even worse. It's a spiritual death as well. Death becomes us. I read the first question for the interview, and the question went something like this. It said, um, as a person thinks about death, what questions come to mind? person thinks about death, what questions roll through their minds? Now, to be honest with you, that's the part that got me. Not that that's such an, an outstanding thought. Not that there was so much depth in that question. Not that it was so brilliantly worded. And, you know, had nothing to do with that. It was just that it caused me to stop and think. So when I got home, I, I, I went ahead and printed out that little sheet. I brought it home with me with my other notes. And I sat down because I'm the kind of person, if I think of something, I need to get it on paper or get it into my iPad immediately. If I leave it, I will not remember it later on. I have forgotten some brilliant things. <laughs> I just have to believe they were going to be brilliant. And I've just totally forgotten them because I didn't write it down. And so I sat down in my bedroom and I started typing into my iPad and I started jotting down some things, and it turned into an hour, which turned into two hours, which turned into three hours. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I've got to stop. I've got to get to studying uh, the one that we have for today. I, I've got to get on that. My, our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids were flying in last night, and uh, I knew that I needed to go get them at the airport, but I also needed to have time to study, and I was quickly running out of time. But I could not get away from that question. What do people think about? It started rolling through my mind all the thoughts of questions that people have asked me when they were confronted with death. A lot of people ask questions when they're confronted with their own death. They know it's coming. My dad even. Uh, one of the most, most mature Christians I've known in my life. A man who studied the Bible continually. Was a pastor for decades five plus decades you know and yet when it came time for him to die he was asking questions he just wanted assurance I guess or, or just wanted to confirm I don't really know but people have these questions when they're confronted with death and so I started jotting down questions that I've been asked over the years some of these questions I've been asked occasionally. Others I've been asked with regularity. Someone's facing the death of a loved one. I can just about guarantee in certain circumstances that there are specific questions I'm going to get asked. Just about always. And I couldn't get away from the study. I really couldn't. I, I, I started praying. I said, God, is this, is this your direction for this study? For what needs to take place tomorrow. Is this what you want? I, I, I don't like making changes like that, that at the last minute. I, I like to prepare much more than over a period of a few hours. And Yet God just kept gnawing at me. Just kept bringing these thoughts into my head. And so eventually I said, okay God, I believe 
that this is your direction. And so I'm just going to yield to that and see what happens. And, and I thought, okay, what is the authority on the matter? Where do we go with such thoughts? And obviously, some people would look. We have in the auditorium Dr. David Bowler, an incredible man of God, pastor at Highland Park Baptist Church, was over Tennessee Temple University, talking about a wealth of wisdom. There he sits. And people would look at him and say, okay, well, there's the authority. You may be naive enough to look at me and say, well, there's the authority. You've been pastor for 23 years here. You're the authority. But the truth is... Even though I've studied a lot to prepare myself and equip myself to be able to answer questions like that, I'm still fallible. I'm still human. I'm not the authority. The authority is God's Word. If you want to know the reality of a situation, you study the authority. You go to the Word of God. Now, unfortunately, we, we have a tendency to go to the Word of God to get answers and Instead of taking them based upon what God intended, we take them based upon what we want them to say. You know, we take a passage out of context and we use it to, to, to mean whatever we want it to say. We, we can somehow wrap our brains around it to where it means what we want it to. And yet nothing could be further from the truth. God has an intent for His Word. God has an intention for what He writes here. And we need to find his intent, his heart, not what we desire it to say. And so I want to walk through some of the questions that I've been asked through the years <clears throat> with, with two considerations in mind. Number one is that it would benefit us. That maybe there's something gnawing in the back of your head. Maybe you're facing your own death or the death of a loved one or you have recently and there's some questions going on in your mind. The second consideration would be that we are able then to take this information and use it for others. That when we encounter someone who is facing something similar that we're able to share that information with them and benefit them in, in their time of need. So where do we begin? There's one question that, even though I've been asked many times, to me it's a difficult question. Not in the answer. I think the answer is pretty clear cut from the Word of God. But it's difficult because I know the pain that's surrounding the question. I know the pain that this is coming from. I, I, I was telling, um, wow, I can't remember who now. Before the service, I was talking to someone and uh, I, I told them, said, you know, there were things that, that I've learned um, through my dad's death that I wish I'd known all these years as a pastor. Things that I experienced, the grief process. I didn't really know how to sympathize or to empathize with someone who had gone through it. I, I did a poor job of that, uh, of that in my early years in ministry because I just didn't know how to relate. And now I've learned something. I've learned a little bit about it. And so I'm praying that we have the benefit of learning something today, maybe growing a little bit. But this first question is, is a tough one because of the pain that it, 
it shows in someone's mind, and it's simply this. Why do people have to die? Why do people have to die? Now think about that. If you're, if you're watching your loved ones suffer, if you're watching them go through the agony of death, you're watching that process unfold before your eyes, you really want to know the answer to that question. Why does this have to happen? I mean, why is this even necessary? There are a lot of different ways we could answer this question. A lot of scriptural ways that we could, we could talk about it. But I just want to bring it down to a very simple form. From Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the last part of the verse says that death spread to all people because all sinned. Death spread to all people because all sinned. Now I want to break that down a little bit for you. Two words, I think, that need to be defined. First of all, the word death. We talked about it earlier, but let's bring it into this discussion right now. And that is that when he talks about death, he's talking about a physical death. But he's also, in the case of some, talking about a spiritual death. Physical death and a spiritual death. You may say, well, why some and not everyone? We'll get to that, I promise. Just bear with me a little bit. So we talk about a physical death and for some also a spiritual death, which is an eternal death. It's an eternal separation from God. Okay, so this is a really big deal. Because of what? Because of sin. Death spread on everyone. The second word I think needs to be defined is the word sin. When we talk about sin, maybe you've heard that word before, maybe you haven't. Maybe you understand the context, maybe you don't. But let me just quickly walk through it. The word sin means to disobey God's commandments, to break God's commandments. Now, God has laid out for us a series of commandments to do and not to do. Now, for example, he says, do not lie, do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness. Uh, don't covet what your neighbor has. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, and on and on and on. And for some of us, we have broken those commandments in what we would consider to be small ways or, or just a few ways. For others of us, we've broken those commandments in what we would consider to be big ways. We, we try to level up and say, well, these are little commandments. They don't hold as much weight, but these over here, these are the biggies, yeah. They carry a lot of weight. And so we try to classify them. Well, I've broken it in big ways or, or I've done practically all of them. The truth is that according to God's plan, it's like taking a stick. If you, if you break off a little piece of it or you break it in the middle or you just break off a third of it, you've still broken it. God looks at his commandments the same way. I've given you this set of instructions for you to follow. If you break them, even in a small way, you've still broken them. God classifies that act of disobedience as sin. And he tells us that none of us are excluded from that act of sin. That we have all sinned and therefore death has spread to all people. So because of our sin. Death is spread upon all. So why does a person have to die? 
Man, you get the understanding of why God hates and despises sin so much. Because you see the pain and the suffering it brings. You see the destruction that it causes. You see the hurt and sorrow. People have to die because people are sinners. Short, simple answer. People are sinners. The second point or the second question I'm going to turn into a series of questions. There are five questions that I believe can all be answered from Luke chapter 14. Excuse me, Luke chapter 16. Five questions that, that can be answered from a very specific text there in Luke chapter 16. And, and what I would like for you to do, because these five questions are answered there, some of them are answered just plainly. You, you see it. There will be no question about others are, are kind of uh, referred to, and you'll see the answer if you look for it. What I'd like to do is, is to, to tell you the five questions and then ask you when I read through the text, look and see if you can find the answer to them. See if you can find all five. And maybe you find one, maybe you find two, maybe, you, maybe you're just really in tune right now and you're going to see all five of them. I would encourage you to look and see if you can locate all five. Okay, so what are the five questions? Well, for a lot of people who are facing death or they're seeing a loved one approach death or they've just gone through it, they want to know what death is like. What is death like? The second question, what follows death? What follows death? The third question, where do people go when they die? The fourth question, is there a real place called heaven and is there a real place called hell? And the fifth question, if so, what are these places like? Okay, so let me tell you the questions again. If you're trying to jot them down, I know me talking over it is hard for you to, to keep that in your mind. But let me, let me tell you those questions one more time. So what is death like? <clears throat> Number two, what follows death? Number three, where do people go when they die? Number four, is there a real place called heaven? And is there a real place called hell? And number five, if so, what are these places like? If so, what are these places like? These are questions I get asked routinely, regularly. So what's the answers? Listen, if you will, very carefully as I read Luke chapter 19, or excuse me, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. See if you can spot the answers to the questions. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades, he lift up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, 
Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he, the rich man, said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Did you find the answers? Let, let's walk through some of that. The first three questions, I, I have to say, are conditional questions. Conditional. You say, wait a minute, there's no right and wrong answer. Oh, yes, there's a right and wrong answer. There is a very clear-cut answer for these questions. But it's conditional based upon what I do in this life. You say, oh, I get it. You mean if I'm, if I'm good enough... My good outweighs my bad, then okay, I don't have to worry about what the rich man had to face after his death. And the answer to that is, that's not at all what I mean. In fact, what you're going to find is that if you study the Word of God, how good I am plays no part in this. How good my parents were plays no part in it. How, how much I went to church, how much my parents went to church... How much I gave, how often I served, if I said a little prayer when I was young, if I was baptized. All these things have no part in this whatsoever. It's strictly based upon what I did with Jesus Christ in this life. What I did with Jesus Christ. For the rich man, we see a picture of one who rejected Jesus Christ. And therefore, when he died, what death was like for him was quite a bit different than what death was like for Lazarus. What followed death was significantly different than what followed death for Lazarus. The Bible says that upon his death, that he woke up in torment. Torment. Other parts of the Bible says that this is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's such a horrible place. Some people have in their minds that it's going to be a party environment, that they'll just get with their friends and have a good time. But it's such a horrible place that we see in this text that he told Abraham, he said, would you just send Lazarus to my five brothers? I don't want them to come here. Had it been the party environment some people envision it being, he would have said, let them come on, man. We're going to have a good time. But no, he was saying, I love them, so I don't want them here. I don't want him in this place of torment. Please let him go tell them so they won't come to this place. We see a place that is drastically different than the one who trusted Christ, the one who received Christ in this life and then stepped into the next because when he stepped from this life into the next, the Bible says that he was taken by the angels and immediately ushered into a place of comfort and peace 
and safety. He had been tortured in this life, full of sores, just trying to find crumbs from a man's table so he'd have something in his belly. Oh, he had faced such agony. But that which waited him was so much better. So much better. And it wasn't because he was such a great guy. Maybe he was. That had no part in it. It was only based on what he did with Jesus. He talks about Hades or other places it's referred to as hell. It's being a place of torment. He talks about Abraham's bosom. Many of us believe <clears throat> that this was a holding place. For those who became part of the family of God prior to Jesus finalizing the act on the cross of Calvary, finalizing the sacrifice that was required to pay the price of sin, that they were held in a place of safety, a place of comfort. And upon the completion of the product, the sacrifice, the God's plan, that they were removed and taken to heaven. And we could go into a lot of descriptions about heaven. Certainly the Bible tells us a good bit about it. Not as much as our curious minds would like to know at times, but certainly shares a lot with us. And so we see that heaven and hell are real places. And we see the, the distinctions that are made between the two based upon what we do in this life with Jesus Christ. So then that brings us to a final question. What do I need to do with Jesus Christ to make sure that I don't spend eternity in hell? I mean, what is this all about? What is it all about? Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what? Believe that Jesus Christ understood our need of a Savior. That because we had sinned, we were headed for physical death and eternal death, spiritual death. And that Jesus, seeing our, our helpless situation through the plan of God, made it possible for us to be forgiven. You see, as we said, there's a payment, a penalty that must be paid for sin. Sin spread to all men because all have sinned. The penalty, the payment of sin is death. And the incredible part of the love of God is that Jesus, through his remarkable kindness, paid that price for us. Jesus paid that price on our behalf. Jesus went to the cross. He stretched out his hands. And there he died. He carried the sin of the world upon him. He had the wrath and judgment of Almighty God poured out upon that sin, upon his body. 
There he shed his blood to pay the price of our sin. So that we would not have to pay that price for ourselves. One of the things we find interesting in the Luke chapter 16 edition of the rich man and Lazarus is that we don't see the rich man go to hell and he instantly burns up. Some people like to think of it that way, that, that hell is just one of those places, well, if I don't do the right thing, then I go to hell and I burn up and it, I don't exist anymore. But what we see is that there was a continuation of existence. Suffering continued. And you got to know something, because we're looking and relating to a holy, eternal God trying to pay the price of my own sin against a holy, eternal God will be something that will also last eternally. It will never be satisfied. But Jesus, because He Himself is eternal, was able to pay the price on the cross of Calvary that I owe, that you owe, so that I, instead of having to pay my own price, could be forgiven could inherit eternal life instead of eternal death. Wow. What a blessing. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, there is one God and one mediator who stands between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus paid the price.